great to be here with you all and also I might just go a little bit further back because I feel like you're really in my peripheries. <laughs> I'm just going to back away. Um, that also, that, you know, God doesn't do anything by accident and every single one of us that's here, it's not an accident that we're here. Um, and uh, I don't know about anyone else, but I have kind of felt some elements of spiritual attack in the lead up to this, which is always a bummer, but then also it's like, it's quite exciting in a way because it shows and tells us, gives us a clue that actually something's going on here that um, the enemy doesn't want to happen and God does want to happen. Anyway, whoops, I'm already eating into my time, ad-libbing. Um, I um, have been asked to speak on one of the parables of Jesus from Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and start reading it. Um, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me... Oh, by the way, this is Jesus speaking. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Lord, I pray that you would bring out what you want us to hear from this. Amen. So, is anybody familiar with this parable? The two builders? Is anyone familiar with the song about this parable? You know? The rain came tumbling down. That is what I initially thought of when I came to prepare this. And God has very graciously not put that song stuck in my head the whole time, which I was, I'm just so grateful for. And I kind of thought, yeah, you know, the song says there's the rock, there's the sand, and that's like, you know, I'm thinking building our lives on Jesus or not on Jesus, and what more am I going to kind of bring out of this, or is God going to bring out of this for me to chat about for this long? Um, but in Matthew, the parable has the rock and the sand, um, and in Luke, it's not just about the ground, but about the foundations. And I also realized on looking at it, that it's not just who comes to Jesus or even who comes to Jesus and hears his words. It's who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. So we're just going to examine and afterwards I think we'll have some time to discuss together how does it look for us to be living and doing and putting into practice the truths of Jesus in our lives and how can that be our foundation. And... What struck me as well when picturing this parable, I was really trying to visualize it. And I thought, well, the second man's house, who doesn't build the foundations, is going to be up a lot quicker. So the first man is starting to dig while the second man is laying the floor. And the first man is kind of continuing to dig and maybe starting to lay the foundation. And the second man is putting on the roof. And then, you know in Grand Designs or any of these home improvement shows, it's the fixtures and fittings at the end that makes them go over budget. But the second man has the budget because he didn't spend so much time and money digging the foundations and he's got like a lovely big, what is it called, a butler sink 
and you know brushed brass taps and everything and everyone's coming and saying how amazing and beautiful his house is and meanwhile what the first man is doing isn't very beautiful or exciting he is just digging and digging everything up until he hits the rock and in this book by Kenneth E. Bailey called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes which I don't want to give the impression that I've read this whole book. I've read the one part which pertains to <laughs> this <laughs> chapter, which was great, and I recommend it. Um, he kind of talks about the actual geographical makeup of the area where Jesus was when he was talking about this and how kind of the soil is and everything. So he says, solid rock lies everywhere just beneath the soil in this area. If the builder plans a house in a valley, the earth and rubble may be 10 or more feet deep. On the tops of the low hills, the underlying rock is barely covered and often exposed. I've asked numerous village builders about the depth they must, they must excavate to construct a stone house. The answer is always the same. They tell me they must dig down to the rock. If that means one inch or ten feet, the principle remains the same. Building must be done on the rock. So... What do we need to dig up? Firstly, let's ask God. Great place to go. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And the way everlasting sounds so wonderful, but also the rest of it is quite scary to pray. And if I pray that, I'm like... <laughs> search me but be kind um, and thankfully God is kind um, we can't comprehend all of God he's so big and who and what he is we can't fully understand in our human brains so we have all these different ways of understanding and kind of different aspects of him and his character and, and what he means to us and what he means but sometimes I find that for me small falsehoods can start to creep into that picture. So even silly things like in The Simpsons, the God, God is sometimes kind of depicted in that and he's this old white man and he's very big so you can't see his face, his face is never shown, it kind of cuts off here. And I can unintentionally start to absorb something from that. Um, maybe I start to believe that God is white or that he's somehow frail with age because he looks so old, or even that he's distant. Sometimes I pray, and again, don't want to make myself, you know, sound really holy. I don't think I pray this enough. Just that, Lord, would you remove any false images or false ideas of you that have built up, have started to collect up in my mind or in my heart, even subconsciously, that I might not even realize. And those ideas might come from the media, they might be silly things, or they might be from personal experiences, from unresolved hurt or pain. And, you know, they might be something silly or they might be something serious. And they can start to feed into a false narrative or unhelpful thoughts. Do we ever believe, even in the smallest way, that God is unloving or unjust? Or that he's loving and just, but he's slow and slow to act? and slow to act on our behalf? Or do we start to put him into the image of someone else that he's not? It's important that we remove 
obstacles and remove any falsehoods that creep in. And we take it back to Jesus' words and who he is and what he has done and not anyone else. In confusion or doubt or pain, those things might not be gone. The confusion, the doubt, the pain, those thoughts might still be there. But in the midst of it, we're held by our Father. And we need to not alone and not by ourselves, but with God our Father and by the power and discernment of his spirit, do the work of digging up anything that doesn't belong, anything at all, until we hit the rock. Do we know what we ought to do, but don't? This is kind of my second point that I don't really think of as a second point. So forming our foundations on Jesus isn't just not doing bad things and kind of stepping away from things or just removing those things but it's also are we stepping into and really living in the fullness and the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us we are made saints we are healed I mean these things like it's so easy to say them but we could talk endlessly about these things and about and about how Jesus made them possible, what he has done for us. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So we shouldn't be wounding ourselves we shouldn't be taking on that role because that is past. He has been wounded for us. And we shouldn't let guilt come in and even make it home, make a home for guilt, you know, inside of ourselves. You know, so often we can casually say in conversation, oh, I felt so guilty about that. And that can just seem so normal. Or we can say sorry or really overly apologize and say sorry for something that either wasn't that bad or wasn't our fault or that we didn't need to say sorry for. And I briefly lived in a community house where one of the house rules was if anybody said sorry for something that they didn't need to say sorry for, they had to say, I'm flipping great. And people would really enforce that. So everyone now, after the count of three, one, two, three. I'm flipping great. Thanks. And it was really radical living in that house, but it breaks my heart that that is radical. It breaks my heart that it should be radical for us to say, I'm flipping great, and to not apologize for things that aren't our fault. There was also another rule that if somebody spoke an untruth over themselves, someone would pour a glass of water over them to douse the flames of the lie. So at the end... If you've ever spoken untruth over yourself, you can ask someone on your table. You don't have to do that, but you can. Um, and I'm not saying that we should be rude, but we need to rebuke the lies that creep in and strongly. And we shouldn't be, you know, sometimes in British culture, it's a really normal thing to say sorry for things that aren't your fault, but we shouldn't be trying to live in British culture. We should be living in a holy, godly culture. Is there anybody who apologizes too much here? And what's the first thing that you say if somebody says, stop saying sorry? Sorry. These things 
they break my heart. And actually, sometimes they get me really a bit fired up and a bit angry because I'm like, that's not good enough. That's not what Jesus has for us. They can seem small and harmless or they can just seem normal, but when we dig into them, they're not built on Jesus and they're not built on rock. 2 Timothy 1 verses 6 and 7. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Oh, yeah, I love that. And I also, some translations, it's like, you have not received a spirit of fear and timidity, and I really like to imagine like a postman being like, you've, you've not received a spirit of fear and timidity. Um, just how I visualize it. Um, <laughs> back to the Bible. Romans three twenty-two to 24. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this. He did this, past tense, through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. We have to believe that what he did was powerful enough for this to be true and be completed. That when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished, it doesn't require us to wound and punish ourselves or to let in any of those lies in order to make it true. It was enough. And we have to know that when we take our judgment into our own hands, we're taking it away from God, where it's supposed to be. Jesus paid it all. And when we don't consider ourselves worthy of love, Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. We need to have these things kind of in our arsenal. We need to reach to our foundations and know and trust those over anything that's surface level and over the fiercest torrent or flood. It's not just about believing, it's about putting it into the practice and living in the truth of our salvation and who Jesus is. In my notebook that I, am I doing okay for time? Um, well, I hope I am, because I'm probably going to say the next bit. Um, in this notebook where I was writing the notes for this evening, I found this reflection that I'd written about Colossians 3, 23 to 24, and this is not something I remember doing or that I usually do, but I think I need to do it more because it's really given me some good reminders. So Colossians 3, 23 to 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And in my job, I strive to do a good and even a great and excellent job. But I get nervous and anxious and I get fearful that I'm not doing enough or I don't, I'm not seen to be doing enough or I could be doing more. And it's easy to just kind of start at that place and think, okay, right, I just need to start building. I need to just do more. And then at a certain point, either I'll reach this elusive, I'm doing enough, you know, feeling of satisfaction, which never actually comes, or I physically won't be able to do any more. So then I must be doing enough. But actually, I need to dig up the dirt that I started on and be examining and thinking, why am I thinking this? Where is this coming from? What does it mean? And I have to keep coming back to it. Working as for the Lord in that situation isn't work harder. 
So I found that I'd written here. My relationship with God is defined by his amazing grace. So I'm not working to anxiously prove to him and earn from him my salvation. Taking this into my work life should mean seeking his peace and his truth about how I'm doing. Not trying to prove I can do more, but seeking to work at all times with a godly and Christ-like attitude. So if I'm always working anxiously, that is not a good witness to my bosses of what God is like and what it's like to work as for the Lord. It's not a good witness of his peace. And I need to go back and dig through it and think, how have my thoughts come to be, you know, is this really what I believe? Am I actually standing and building on what I believe or have lies crept in? And bring it back to God's word and hold it alongside that and for that to be my only foundation. Oh, I've reached the end. We're going to have a song. <laughs> I saw another paragraph, but that's actually just me doing admin. Um, we're going to have another song and a little minute to reflect, and then we're going to have time to discuss around tables, and we might even chat together, and there's space to ask questions as well. Um, so reflect now, later in discussion. I can remind you of these, or we don't have to stick to these questions. What is there anything that strikes you that you feel that God is saying to you this evening? Maybe there's falsehoods about God that try to sneak in for you. Maybe there's a struggle to really live in the fullness of God's amazing truths. Or maybe you find yourself kind of building um, for the short term, just patching things together as short-term solutions rather than having a perspective of Jesus' eternal truths. And when we're reflecting and when we're discussing, obviously our starting point is that the words from this passage are from Jesus and any challenge or conviction that the Spirit is prompting in us from then is from God our Father. So we start from those truths of who he is and the truths that have been spoken here from his word of who and what we are through him. We're flipping great. Great. Can I hand over to you guys? Oh, yeah. You can, you can